My name is Matt Brown. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. And let's start the show. And life as it should be, the great Lee Corso is back with us. What's going on, everybody? The world is a better place because you are here to join us. My name is Matt Brown, and I am the host of the Productive Conversations podcast. It is Thursday, August 31st, 2023, and for the first time ever, Productive Conversations will dedicate an entire episode towards the world of college football, and we are about to kick off our weekly coverage of the 2023 Division One college football season so this is a special day this is a good day and there's a lot to get into as we begin our college football coverage and before we get into that i just want to remind you to like and subscribe to the productive conversations podcast on all podcasts and platforms and youtube and don't forget to check out exclusive content regarding this show across all social media platforms We're on instagram at productive conversations podcast twitter at Pod, and we're on tiktok at Productive Conversations and Facebook at Productive Conversations. So this is really cool. Really, really cool. This show is leveling up today. It is taking a new step in the right direction. It is getting new challenges. It is starting new goals. And we're going to start our coverage of college football starting now. So every Thursday, we are going to release a college football show from now until the end of the national championship. So from now until the beginning of 2024, we are going to spend every Thursday talking about college football. We are going to focus on Division One. We're going to focus on FBS. Throw a little FCS in there because, you know, my youngest brother plays in the FCS. And as mentioned, as this is going to be a weekly show, we're pretty much going to go through all the big headlines in college football every week and talk about the biggest games. So a lot of top 25 discussions, a lot of roads to the college football playoff throughout the year. There's going to be four teams this year for the last year. And as more big news comes in the world of college football, you know, a lot of schools are changing conferences and realigning. Next year, there's a big overhaul in that. I mean, the Pac-12 is not going to be a thing, essentially. And it seems most of the other Power 5 schools are taking advantage of them dissolving. But, you know, that will be discussed a little bit in this show and, you know, throughout the next, you know, bunch of months, I would think. Last year of the four school college bracket and then next year it's expanding to 12 so this is a very special year in college football before there's a lot of changes happening next year we're going to focus on a lot of traditions i would think so this is our first time going through the college football season so we're going to learn a lot We're going to gain a lot of knowledge, and we're also going to continue to inform, entertain, and inspire you, the greatest fans and listeners in the world. So let us focus on our college football preview just doing that. We're going to focus on the Power Five conferences, you know, Big Ten, Big 12, SEC, Pac-12, and ACC. We're going to focus on who will be the Heisman Trophy winner this year. So Heisman candidate discussions in this pod. Then we will make predictions on the college football playoff and which four schools will be playing for a national championship and who's going to be the national champion. So there is going to be a lot of good stuff coming your way. So why don't we get into it? Joining us on the college football team this year is Alex Ronelio to start it off. Me and Alex are going to go cover this college football season from start to finish, from front to back, through all the big Power 5 conferences and more. It's going to be a great, great time. So Alex Ronelio is joining us for this, the college football preview of 2023. So let us do it, Alex. Let's talk college football. Let us get excited for the year ahead. Here we go. Matt from Norwalk. Uh, let's see. Matt Brown wants to know. This is a very productive conversation. For the first time ever, Productive Conversations is covering college football. What a great day to level up. This is where we start our weekly college football coverage. So every Thursday, we are dropping these college football shows. And let's preview the season right now. And then let's start our 10-week journey to the national championship. Alex Ranelio is here to talk college football with me and preview the whole country. How about that, Alex? Great to see you. 
Happy to be back, Matt. Let's make some magic. Yes, we are. Nice weekly coverage. Alex will be with us throughout the college football season and NFL. So this is going to be an awesome fall and winter. And as we are getting more and more grasped and, you know, more and more views on our reels and growing, this is a pretty cool, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we're just starting uh, a lot of lot of new formats to modify to a lot of new places to broadcast and uh, a lot of new faces to be seen. So we're excited to bring it back this season. We're going to make it we're going to make it happen. Definitely. As you were with us for college basketball, and I wouldn't switch it to uh, football for this one. So I guess the first thing before we get into our preview is this is a weird time for college football. Don't you think we have a lot of teams realigning? We have a lot of conference changes, especially in the power five, you know, NIL deals are really taking over the sport like never before. And this is the last year of the four college football playoff. And then next year it's going to 12 and yeah, college football is changing. I think for the better and then we've heard critics say for the worse. So coming into this season, Alex, and I know we technically there is week zero, but we just saw teams blow out each other. So, you know, um, not much going on there. And this is where it really starting Saturdays at 12 all the way to uh, 10 at night. And yeah. yeah, I guess before we start anything, how are you feeling about this college football season as a whole, especially with all the changes that are happening? Well, I've never been more excited. Um, not just blanketed statement. I think that there's such a shakeup, like you said, across all the major power five players in terms of conferences and really like, the genetic makeup of some of these schools starting from scratch and being able to build up and kind of manifest their future for themselves. Um, we know that, uh, the, the, um, the transfer portals have really, um, really mm-hmm. made up really well, the NIL and all the turbulence that it's created for both the players and the organizational staffs. It's really put like a one year tenure on all these programs to really prove how invested they are in their students. But it also gives the opportunity across the board, across not just Power Five, but some of the mid-level conferences to really show what they can offer their students right off the bat. And it means that a lot of people can compete, especially when it goes to an eight-team, a 12-team competitive edge um, that mm-hmm. you can look you know, wholesale at some of these teams and, and really reckon with you know, players that may not have been in the spotlight in the past. So I think it's, it's really just opening up the floodgates in the best sense. And I like the fact that the the league and the NCAA is embracing change and not fighting it because my feeling has always been, and most of our viewers as well have always kind of understood that it's kind of been an antiquated, slow moving kind of organization across all um, athletics. So I think that this is a, a sea change in the right direction. <clears throat> I think so too. Now I know people are concerned about maybe people taking advantage of NILs and then especially with the conference alignments and, you know, we'll talk about a little bit. It seems that the PAC 12, especially they're really losing a lot of schools. And, you know, some people think this is because of TV deals and spotlights like that. And you might even see a time, maybe at the end of the decade, if maybe all the conferences dissolve and they, they always say maybe it turns into what was it like the big 60 where pretty much all the big five, um, the power five schools turn into one major division one FBS system. And especially now with the 12, if you know, we are next year going to 12 colleges. So that really would make sense fundamentally on a national level. Um, it seems it's moving pretty fast, but I don't know. One of the reasons why we decided to cover college football like we did the NFL after that being a success is because of you could argue that college football really is the second biggest sport in this whole country. And and especially from coast to coast. And we really want to, you know, talk about those schools, those middle America schools. We haven't had the chance. These big Ted schools, you know, your Michigan's and your let's say Wisconsin's for the first times. I don't know. But we, this yep. is why I want to expand on this thing we're growing here. So with that, there's a lot of changes happening, too. So it's an interesting time for, interesting time for us to start covering college football amongst all their changes they're doing. Yeah, 100%. I think that 
with every action, there's always an equal opposite reaction. And I think that kind of like the way you outline things, it's, um, it's not just about the conferences and the richest of rich conferences getting richer with kind of the, you know, the dissolution of the PAC 12 foreseen for next year. Some mm-hmm. of us TV, we've heard rumblings about the time Warner cable package and what they've been able to offer. But at the same time, when you only have three teams left in the conference, you're going to be inviting in a whole flood and sea change of the best competition that's looking to make their mark in the Pac-12 and stand out. It's the same thing that we've been saying for some of these mid-level majors that have been on the outside looking in with 12-win seasons on the co- on the college playoff. And eventually, they're no longer they're going to have their time in the sun. And I feel like a lot of these teams that are able to migrate and, you know, break that threshold from the mid majors into the PAC 12 or into a sixth, you know, level of conference play. I think that they're going to have their time as well. So I don't think it's all doom and gloom from the rich getting richer in terms of the conferences, uh, the, the, the major five players. I think that um, it's just going to make things even more exciting. I hear that. I believe that. So why don't we, you know, on that note, why don't we focus on 2023 and why don't we start our college football preview officially? So the way we're going to do this is we're going to preview the power five conferences, you know, SEC, Big 10, Big 12, Pac-12 and ACC. And then if there's any other, you know, of the mid-major schools, or small schools to mention, Alex, if this is your time for UConn college football, if you want to mention them or well, anyone else, um, We'll talk about some Heisman predictions, and uh, then we'll make our predictions for the college football preview itself. So while we talk about NFL Junior, why don't we talk about arguably the best conference in all college football, the SEC? So at this moment, Alex, there is one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, six teams in the top 25 who are in this conference. You have the reigning national champions, number one, Georgia Bulldogs coming back to defend their title, trying to repeat, trying to do the first, the excuse me, trying to do the first three Pete in college football since they've had leather helmets. Um, you have Bama coming back, opening at number four in the polls. And, uh, you know, coming up short, not even making the national championship last year. I'm sure there is a lot of people who want to make a push again down for the Crimson Tide. You know, LSU is back here. They're at five. Uh, We have Ole Miss and Texas A&M at 22 and 23 respectfully and um, some other teams to, to notice Kentucky made it had a great season last year under Will Levis maybe see if they make a push they're not ranked to start uh, Tennessee oh wait sorry not Tennessee we could see um, if uh, Florida after making some noise again after a down period may uh, making a deep run SEC football is interesting Alex and Basically, the first thing I want to talk about here is Georgia with Carson Beck taking over after Stenson Bennett. Yep. A lot of, of a lot of their the Georgia Bulldogs lost a lot of players to the NFL this year. But still, people think they are going to be a dominant team. They think as long as Kirby Smart's there, they're going to pull it off. Maybe another undefeated season. Do you think the Georgia Bulldogs are going to be as dominant as they were last year? Well, I think they will be Um, not for the predictable reasons that we thought. I mean, they've always had like a top level, unbelievable, undeniable defense, especially their front four. And then having a game manager like Stetson Bennett, who can occasionally make the the big bomb throw down the field with some of their all star level receivers and the the tight end they had in years past. Um, I think that they will kind of run the table the same way. They may get a couple hiccups towards the end of the season. You got Ole Miss, you know, um, week, uh, I think week eight on November 11th. And you have Tennessee right, uh, you know, wrapping up there as well. But they really should have no problems. It's a pretty cupcake schedule, uh, relatively speaking. Um, so I think they'll kind of back their way into the number one seed if that if there was a possibility. Um, and. Similarly, I think LSU is going to have the same kind of fate. I think that, um, you know, they've had a minor scare with that, you know, with the running back Emory uh, being questionable for FSU week one. But mm-hmm. I think that when you look at the rest of their schedule for uh, the remainder of the year after Florida State, you know, Ole Miss will be a, uh, will be a minor scare. And then you have Bama. Um, 
you know, uh, November 4th. So even if they go into the playoff with a one, with a one loss season, um, I could see them easily not to spoil the remainder of the show, but I could see them as a four seed going into the playoff. Um, I think those are really the two leading candidates for the SEC and everybody else is kind of uh, sitting at a uh, nine win fate. Interesting. Okay. And the other, and the other thing, and one of the other schools talk about, uh, if I would love you to expand more on is Alabama. You know, dominant for so long, but didn't make the national championship for that national championship game itself in what a five, six year period. Ever since they they introduced this college football, they were always there. But, you know, losing to TCU out of all schools was a shock. And I would like to think that Nick Saban doesn't want to be in that position again. No, he doesn't. He's got um, a lot. There's a lot of pride on the line um, and some of it, you know, rightfully just and some not. You know, it's about keeping your resume as high as it can be and maintained year after year. And I think for him, this is going to be a very personal season um, to see his bounce back and his team's resilience. But, um, you know, I mean, look, I I see them as a two loss team. I think they'll be on the outside looking in kind of where USC sits at the preseason poll at six. I kind of see them with a similar fate right behind Ohio state, uh, depending on how those two loss situations match out with uh, the quality of their losses. But um, Mm -hmm. I think that they're going to have a great year, just not enough to get in that top four. And, um, you know, when you peruse their schedule, I mean, it is brutal. Texas, um, you know, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Tennessee. I mean, at the very least, I don't see them running the table, but I think that at least two of those four are hard outs. And that's really where I draw the line for myself. I think they'll be still a high, you know, a high power uh, ground game with a really solid defense. Um, but this is going to be, I think you're going to start seeing cracks in the armor for Nick Saban this year. And some of it just, and some of it unjust. Ooh. So could we see, you know, could this be a situation where we say, man, the mighty have fallen or we still have a long time to go until that because, you know, with those NIL deals and obviously their recruitment strategies, it, they can always stay in it. But I don't know. It's been a long time and, you know, nothing lasts forever. But if you're saying what you're saying and it could be true, that could be something to, to watch out for, you know. Yeah, 100%. I think um, one of the things that we haven't mentioned that we mentioned last year, uh, particularly with the NFL podcast, was seeing the effects on the offense for the Patriots without Bill O'Brien foreseen. And I think that some of the same counter product is going to happen with this offense for Alabama. I think it could still be um, electric. I think they can still have the consistency on the ground game, be able to control the pace and clock of the game. But I don't think they're going to have that explosive firepower that they had with you know, Kiffin or Sark or now Bill O'Brien being gone from the equation. So um, that's going to be another, you know, gap for Saban to figure out and fill. And I think you may see some of those jump gaps during the regular season when you have a little bit more tough competition. Um, You're going to see a lot of close games that are, you know, in the mid low twenties, I think. Interesting. Well, I'm sure that, you know, this is a real test and, if Nick Saban is the GOAT in college football as we say he is, and, you know, rightfully so, this will be his time to figure it out once and for all. And to answer your question directly before we move on, I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, regimes, they always have a couple couple years on the back burner. I think they'll be back in full force. I do think there is a pivotal change um, and there's questions to be, to be answered about the long-term effects of an NIL endorsement across – you know, across the field, because up to this point, we've only seen a lot of low level and a few high level um, NIL endorsements, but they haven't really had the effectual sea change. I think you're going to see more of a timeline change with some of these programs and how they're able to, um, you know, prorate and help out their, their incoming classes. I think there's going to be shorter terms on some of these players, even more the likes that we've seen in years recent with, um, some of the graduate uh, portal transfers. So, exactly. If you, I mean, if somebody has a bad game or a bad practice, you know, there's somebody on the on the side saying, "Hey, why don't you come over here? Here's a yeah. Ferrari. Here's a here's five million dollars." And you know, it, it helps makes these cases that soon these players, this could be really a minor league for football. And I know they really will do everything they can, and I say the word professional because then you have to do like. Workman's comp and then benefits. But 
yeah, this is just part of the game now that we just have to get used to. Yep. And something that might be hard to get used to, and the next conference I want to focus on is the Pac-12. It seems this is going to be 2023 is going to be the last year of what the Pac-12 is in their identity. And what I mean that is the Pac-12 is going to look a lot different after this season. And let me name the following schools that will be leaving the Pac-12 starting next year. This includes UCLA and USC. They're going to the Big Ten, Arizona, Arizona State. Arizona State's also, they did a self-imposed ban. They won't be playing this year. We have Colorado leaving, Oregon, Utah, Washington. And so the four, I, I mentioned three. That it's, um, it's actually four schools that are pl- remaining as of next year include California, Oregon State, Stanford, and Washington State. But of course, Maybe they get poached. I don't know. But coming into this season, the Pac-12 has a lot of good schools. They have five top-ranked teams right now. USC's at six, Oregon at 15, Oregon State at 18, Utah at 14, and Washington at 10. So there are good football players here. USC already won a game. And this conference might have the best player in the entire nation, you know, Caleb Williams. So coming into the Pac-12 and what is going to be the last season for a lot of these schools. What do you think is going to happen? And as much as we enjoy these games, I'm sure they're going to feel a little awkward, don't you think? Oh, for sure. I mean, there's always the elephant in the room question looming over games such as um, the ones we're going to see this season. Kind of like you mentioned, you know, there's a ton of uh, great talent on these rosters. It's going to be interesting to see some of the exiting energy, if you will, um, to how these games are, are played. You know, I think mm-hmm. you, you may get to a point in the year where, um, you know, maybe week nine, week 10, where teams that are three, four losses, you're going to start seeing that differentiation in, um, you know, uh, quality of coaching to see how teams get prepared and maintain to stay ready and stay poised week in and week out, um, even with the prospects of things going elsewhere. And the teams, the cream that, you know, that rise to the top, you know, the the USC and the UCLA's, um, you know, they're going to they're going to be fine tuning things and they're going to be looking, um, you know, for the future and beyond. So uh, I think that there's I think a lot of the quality of these teams um, may get exposed as the as the season transpires. But I, I think it's going to tell a lot about the quality of coaching even more so than the recruitment classes. I think that the coaching is really going to lay bare their true colors and how they're able to get players prepared and um, operationally how they're able to keep players fresh and motivated week in and week out, um, even through the waning weeks of the season. So, Yes, definitely. So one of the schools I want to talk about here is USC. They're starting out, they're starting out six. Um, as I mentioned, Caleb Williams is back. And before they leave for the Big Ten, do you think this team in USC, do you think they can sneak into the college football playoff? Well, not sneak. They're, they're a really good team, especially on offense. But do you think this team could bring back the USC glories of like when we were kids in the Linard days in the mid-2000s? Do you think this is USC's time to really be a powerhouse program, especially going into the Big 12 next year, Big Ten next year? If we're speaking comparatively, I would say they're going to be like UCL, I mean, USC light. I think they're not going to be quite like the Leonard Bush, uh, Carroll days, but I think they'll be pretty damn close. I think they'll be as high powered electric as an offense. Um, just cause I don't question Lincoln Riley behind the helm. I think that he's as good as he's billed to be. Um, but you know, it, the, 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 there's certainly no cakewalk the second half of the season. You still have four four out of six ranked opponents in your own conference going down the half second half of the season. And um, Caleb Williams, I, it's it's really hard to repeat as, as a Heisman. I think that mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think that there's going to be um, a lot of psychology from. Uh, you know, from two levels up as, you know, viewership uh, from a viewership, viewership standpoint for us as um, as weekly viewers and fans, because we're going to be kind of seeing the duality between his relationship with his coaching staff and how he's able to uh, mature to the next level and see if he's really pro ready um, coming after the next season. So, um, 
All that being said, I think that they are um, a shoe in for the four seed. I just see Ohio State's schedule to being too insurmountable, uh, to being too insurmountable, similar with Bama, and I think that they'll be kind of sitting there, um, uh, ready to jump into that four, four, uh, that fourth and final spot in the playoffs. Mm, it seems like they really can't go. They seem like they really can only afford to have one loss in that case. If if uh, that's the case, yeah. My my bet, my guess is that. Notre Dame is not made out to be what it is, um, you know, playing in a non-conference. And I, I just don't believe in the quality and content of some of the second half of uh, this Pac-12 schedule. So I think Washington is as good as they're built to be, but I don't believe in Oregon the same way, nor do I believe in Utah as much. Uh, I think Utah is a really quality team, but I just don't think that they have enough juice uh, to squeeze when it comes to offense to um, uh, being in a shootout with someone like Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley. So I like it. I like it. Now, this this year, we're also going to have Colorado and Deion Sanders will be uh, coaching in this conference this year. How do we feel about primetime coming in and especially the amount of recruits he is bringing with him? Yeah, it's, it's really something that's it's amazing. I, I went, Originally, it was kind of billed from a distance as kind of a sideshow. I, I always I was never quite a fan of Dion, even though I had um, huge high regard um, for his individual like skills and talents. But in, in terms of being able to galvanize a team and a roster, I never quite saw it at the pro level. And I didn't know how it would translate to um, the lower level guys. But when you look at, you know, his short resume at Jackson um, uh, College and you look at um, Jackson State, Jackson State, pardon me, and how he was able to kind of um, already, you know, play the game through the game, if you will, in the offseason and recruiting these guys. Um, it's really nothing sh- uh, short of remarkable. And I think that um, it's going to pay dividends, whether it means, you know, an eight win season or a 10 win season. Who knows? You know, it's, it's going to take a few years, as we all know, to rebuild um, a dying program. I, mean, I think I think they were like the, the worst team in Division One last year. Was that were they not in Power Five? Yeah. Um, I could look that up really quick, but yeah, they really had a very weak season. But if yeah. you noticed during their spring game, there was like a back to back the year before there was no one, there was a ghost town, and then they filled the stadium this year. So there's a lot of hype roaming around and people are excited. And yes, they were definitely, it says here, they were one of the worst teams coming into um, last season. And, you know, they're he's bringing in a whole new staff and they're revamping it. They're revamping it, and I'm sure um, if anyone could do it or bring some swat, bring some pizzazz, if you will, is definitely prime time. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, he's going to bring the lights and, and, and the glitz and the glamour to these games. Um, I just don't know how many games it'll, uh, how many wins it'll translate to in, in season one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're probably closer to an eight nine win team than a ten win team. Um, which is fine. I mean, that's huge, tremendous success from a one-year turnover. Um, it, having said that, I don't know how much confidence I have in them going out of the Pac-12, exiting the Pac-12, coming into the 2024 season, because I think that if you're a new program, and I say new relatively, like they're in rebuild, I think you need to create deep ties with roots in the conference that you're already um, embroiled in because there's a lot of bad blood. There's a lot of resolution. There's a lot of long-term relationships widespread across those conferences. And it's really easy to just, uh, stay away with, um, you know, shoveling that aside. But I think that they need to be exposed to kind of that, um, you know, getting in the mud with some of those, uh, those, those teams this year. So. Yeah. And they're going to go to the big 12 next year. seems like a better fit. You know, they're going to pro- they're placing as Oklahoma and Texas are about a leaf of the SEC. They're one of the teams going in, as well as uh, Utah and Arizona and Arizona State. So hmm, I guess this is this is going to be it for them. And let's see what happens. But, you know, regardless, there's going to be a lot of eyes on that school. So let's oh, see sure. what happens. So why don't we now talk about the Big Ten? It seems like everybody's favorite conference right now. And, you know, they are really exciting. It's really exciting for Big Ten football right now. So we have five teams that are ranked. Michigan at two, Ohio State at three, Penn State ranked at seventh, 
Yep. And then we have Iowa at 25 and Wisconsin at 19. So coming into this is uh so coming into this year, we have Michigan and Ohio State again, ranked number two and three. Michigan is starting without Jim Harbaugh. He's suspended for recruitment violations for the first four games of the season. That's and awesome. then <laughs> and then uh, again, Ohio State, um, Ohio State trying to make up for a last for another disappointing year coming up short. So focusing on those two schools first, Michigan, and Ohio State. Do we see this as the year that maybe they will meet in the college football playoff? I would love to say yes and make it make it a, a, a true manifestation of reality, but I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I think that Ohio State is going to be the first team on the outside looking in, unfortunately. Mm. Um, I, just perusing that schedule, I mean, Penn State is just going to be unbelievable this year coming back with uh, James Franklin. Notre Dame is nothing to sneeze at. Wisconsin will be a, a solid, tough out. And you know, and and then again, you know, cap in the year, second to last seat, uh, last week with Michigan. I, I just, I have a lot of confidence in Ryan Day. Again, I feel the same way I feel about Ohio State as a regime in totality as I do with Alabama. I think that there's just a couple years where you give it your all, you sit on the sideline on the outside looking in, um, in terms of your production and you, and your, your best years are going to come back. They're going to return, but this division is loaded. It just seems like it's the right time for Michigan to finally get over the hump and have the last word, the final word on Ohio state and Michigan's rivalry for the time being. Mm-hmm. And I actually see Penn state, quite frankly, a more of a formidable opponent to Michigan than I do Ohio state, Michigan. So that that's kind of an interesting kind of little, um, uh, we, we say monkey wrench in the in the equation, um, but you know this this divisions. I mean, you know it's a power five. It, they're they're going to have you know meat and potatoes type of competition. A lot of a lot of good uh, programs in this conference, and um, I think this is just Michigan's time. I think that the first few weeks are going to be not even an issue without absence of Harbaugh, and when he comes back, they're just going to plug him back in and keep it rolling. Yeah, I feel like this is the year that they can finally make it. I'm, I'm, you know, I think that I really see this as a a team that's going to play in the national championship. Um, They're really dominant on both sides of the ball. Teams are not going to be phased by Harbaugh, uh, by the Harbaugh absence. And, you know, once we make our predictions, I'll go more to detail there. But I'm really um, interested in the Wolverines, especially. And um, you also mentioned Penn State that people are really excited for. And as you mentioned, who's returning for them. But is there anything else you want to add with the Nitty Lions? Do you think, you know, they've had a very complicated decade, if you know what I mean? Um, you know, covering recovering from the Sandusky trial, trying to get a national presence again. And it seems for the first time since that all went down that they are really looked at as a true top program in the country. So elaborating on that more, do you think, you know, this could you could potentially see this team in the uh, college football playoff? I do. Um, I don't. I'm not willing to stake that they will make the fourth, you know, the fourth final spot in the playoff. I think that they would be like the first or second in, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a hypothetical expansion, but they have a really, really easy cushy schedule outside of Ohio state and Michigan, which either one would be a one loss game. Um, I don't see outside of that an issue, but, and then you have Iowa at 25, which is really, you know, week to week could be unranked. So I think that this, um, you know, this division with their schedule is wide open and they already have the, the talent on both sides of the ball coming back this season. Um, just you know, looking just looking back to last year, I mean, even even in a down year, they were still like top fifty in in almost every stat statistically, and um, they kept you know opposing teams points against um, you know in the top ten, eighteen a game. So I think that a lockdown defense and a managerial non turnover quarterback, um, they're going to be they're going to be fine in this division, um, this conference, and. Um, it's just, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a matter of style choice, these games and how you want to play. And I think that James Franklin, amongst other coaches in this, in this conference is best equipped to kind of play games of chess when other coaches are playing games of checkers. Mm, bars right there as usual. Good stuff with that, Alex. And, um, 
why don't we now move on to the Big 12? So, again, the last year for Oklahoma and Texas, but you also have TCU coming back after a national title, after a national title birth. Um, people are really excited to see what's going on there with those teams. Tell me what you were excited about with the Big 12. I think Texas is really a team to keep your eye on. Yeah, it's just going to be a matter of how real is Sark as a coach and what are we getting from Quinn Ewers? Like, what is he going to be? Is he going to be kind of like this Baker Mayfield asked kind of like high power, high electricity kind of Manziel kind of stardom power? Is he going to be kind of, you know, on a bridge and unfiltered or is he going to be kind of brought in and galvanized and create a winning team, create a 10-11 win team. We just don't know. I think there's too many questions around Texas to um, year after year, the past decade. I mean, you talk about Penn State having a tumultuous rocky road of an up and down kind of hill of a uh, decade for their team. I think Texas is right there in terms of unfulfilled promises. I think that, you know, mm. the way they Charlie Strong on the way out, and then the way that they've kind of given the platform for Sark to kind of do what he has to do. I think he he's up against it to prove it this year. Um, there's no excuse, in my opinion, with that defense and that roster and totality that they can't run away with this this conference, um, particularly with the level of competition being diminished from years recent past. So I, I think it's theirs to lose, but I would not be surprised if they found a way to blow it. And I really? I, I I like what I've seen from TCU in terms of coaching staff uh, um, last year. I think they've been able to maximize their their talent pool and potential, even with a down roster. So I think it's really a two horse, you know, conference. And um, we'll just I think we'll know by week eight what we have with Texas and with with, with well I can't speak with Quinn Ewers and um, with with Sark because I'm I'm big on Sark, but. It's a whole hell of a lot different being an OC in Bama behind that cushy roster and staff when you have a track team playing for you on offense. Um, <laughs> the weight of the world on your shoulders in a program like Texas with those expectations. So this is going to be all about Sarkeesian in the, in, the, in the spotlight and how he's able to uh, bounce back from any kind of adversity as the, as the schedule goes on. So, And for the other two ranked schools in TCU and Oklahoma, sure. do you see them having uh, any strides? I think I think they'll they'll cause headaches the um across the, the the conference like you'll see you know good Saturday afternoon games with Iowa State or Kansas and stuff like that but I don't think there are any real contention to um, give you know um, uh, Texas or TCU any trouble in this in this division uh, I think K State's kind of the more formidable opponent opposed to Oklahoma but. Really, when we talk about the national conversation, I think it's really a two-headed horse between a uh, two-horse race between TCU and Texas. And also, this is the first season for the University of Central Florida, and yeah. uh, the, they are at a Power Five school now. We've seen them for the past ten years really advance as a program. They went undefeated one year. Yeah. Um, how do you like them being in this conference now? I love it. I, I think that this is kind of the the classic, you know, conversation that we had with next year's preemptive dissolution of the Pac-12 and like what could be filled with that vacuum, that void in that conference. And I think that you're going to see a lot of teams like the prototypical UCF who have um, done all the hard work, you know, recruiting, you know, um, in their conference, maximizing their potential, winning all their games, um, you know, uh, building their resume and bringing their staff along for the ride. It's kind of the way I feel with Tulane. I think Tulane is kind of in the same realm and the same same position where they've been overperforming in a um, you know in a conference that no one pays attention to, and now that this this is kind of their opportunity, to kind of have their moment in the sun and see what they can do. So I think that the the future is bright for them, particularly in this conference where you can make a lot of noise really quickly. And um, you know, just taking a peek at their schedule, I mean, they, there's a lot of opportunity here to really make some noise. I mean, I think by week five when they play Baylor and then week six when they play Kansas, I think people are going to start taking notice. I like it. I like it. So why don't we now switch to the ACC? Yep. They have three, they have three teams who are ranked, which include, Oh wait, actually, sorry. Before one more thing for the ACC, the last thing on the uh, big 12, probably their most, 
popular player is going to be sitting. He's a freshman. You know he's related to Arch Manning. And say crazy things happen, we see some injuries, or he's just as amazing as they are touting him to be. Do you expect to see Arch Manning playing at all, even playing a snap or a series in uh, the college football season? No, I don't. I the reason I wanted to abstain from bringing it up in conversation was because we like to you know deal with facts on the show and not hypotheticals. And mm-hmm. as as fun as it is as a thought experiment, um, I just with the money and the incentives invested in these kids, um, the training staffs, the money that they spend um, on conditioning these players, I don't see him running any risk for. Um, you know, a minute Saturday afternoon game in a conference that's not even the top four conference. I think that he's going to be taking a lot of notes, going to be highly observant. And I think that he's going to actually furthermore see what this conference really is able to do and offer him. Because now the, the incentive structure these days is the total inverse. You always used to be the players you know, kissing ass and reaching out to, you know, um, the coaching staffs and, and performing and, you know, handing in their tapes, so to speak. But I think now the, 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 the players are the coveted ones. And I think that he has the power to kind of see what, um, survey, what, what, what is to come from this, this, uh, this conference and this program. Makes a ton of sense. Great stuff there. So why don't we now go to our last conference to discuss the ACC. And this includes three ranked schools, Florida State at eight, Clemson nine, North Carolina at 21. And this is a uh, this is, again, always interesting to see where we go on this one. But tell me your early thoughts on the ACC and what they can provide. Well, they're going to be they're going to be it's going to be a bounce back year. I think um, we know, you know, we know what Dabo is doing with, uh, you know, in South Carolina with uh, with Clemson. Um, they're always going to be the poster child for this division, but mm-hmm. here there was kind of this, uh, there was kind of this malaise, this obsolescence with some of the, the competition. There was no one that was kind of forthright, kind of accepting the throne for that fourth uh, seed in, in the in the playoff, the college playoff. So I think this is going to be a bounce back year. You're going to see a lot more excitement, a lot more passionate play, a lot better games um, all across the conference. I really like what I'm seeing from Florida State coming into the the preseason AP poll. Um, I really like what Carolina has to, uh, has to offer. Um, I think that they're going to um, get right back to hitting the gas and um, – I, I just think that the competition, whether it's Syracuse, VTech, Pittsburgh, um, it's a really, again, it's similar to the Big Ten. It's a lot of meat and potatoes programs that, um, you know, rely on, you know, a ground game and, and a really high-powered defense, a really dynamic defense, a lot of guys that could fly around the secondary um, and create a lot of havoc and change. So I think that you're going to see a lot of electric gameplay, and I really see it between a Clemson and Florida State uh, two-headed uh competition but i wouldn't sneeze and i wouldn't um i wouldn't uh dismiss north carolina again right away because looking at their schedule it's very um it's very manageable it's very favorable um i think they only play clemson second to last week of the year and um outside of that it's just nc state who uh shout out to yukon has week one so (laughs) and the big thing there to the guy to look out for is drake may you know, yep. people think he might be a Heisman candidate. He has really rose in the ranks. And for in the past few years, the program of North Carolina football has a pretty stalemate. But, you know, they did produce Daniel Jones and maybe they have something there in, in their system. So um, I'll focus on him when we talk about Heisman stuff. But and also. I- oh, real quick. And I'm really excited to see this this kid, Kate Klubnik, too. I like, I want to see what. What he, how he, how he meshes and how he gels with Clemson because now that the, there's such a compression on the return on investment with these pro, with the highest level programs, there's a one year turnover now. So if he doesn't produce by week eight, you know, week seven, week eight, you may start seeing rumblings about who they're going to bring in in uh, year two. So. Absolutely. And why don't we also just mention the one independent franchise, maybe some say the unofficial ACC member. They were during the COVID year, but Notre Dame. Notre Dame got a dominating win over Navy in Ireland this past weekend. We have Sam Hartman, even though he's 24 years old. Um, The old guy quarterback coming in who, again, also is a Heisman favorite. Maybe we could focus on him more once the um, 
once we talk Heisman stuff. But for Notre Dame and the Fighting Irish, how do we see the year going for them? I think they'll have. I think they'll be kind of in the same boat as um, Ohio State and Bama. I think they'll be a really phenomenal two-loss team. Um, I think that they could easily win all of their games, um, with the exception of USC and Ohio State. I think those are the two that they probably will ultimately terminally fall on. Um, but you know they have good competition across the board too. I, I like Pitt and I like. Um, and I like NC State a lot coming into the year. So um, I think that it, it'll be interesting to see, again, you know, another coach in the spotlight, the resilience from their coaching staff there in his first year after Brian Kelly's uh, uh, departure. So uh, I think it's going to be mo- more of a telling season about how resilient and how um, uh, bounce back this uh, coaching staff can be in a program such so prestigious as Notre Dame. So. Absolutely, dude. And good stuff there. So pretty much, how do you feel about UConn football, Alex? Is UConn football going to make a bowl game this year? <laughs> They'll probably make the turd bowl like they did last year. No, they, they had a pretty resilient – I mean, I really like Jim Moore Jr. I think he's um, he's the real deal in terms of an up-and-coming coach. There's just – it seems like, you know, they've had a real deteriorated, deteriorated – uh, last couple handful of seasons um, with just hitting and missing uh, misfires on coaching and just being antiquated with how they approach the game. I think this guy inspires. I think you started seeing the turnaround week six last year when they were, you know, getting blown out to start having competitive games and then winning tight games and looking at, um, you know, situational offenses, two minute offenses, how they're able to expand, stretch the field and get down the field and, and make plays, um, in short order, I think that that's the stuff of great coaching. And I think that he's pushing this program in the right direction. Now, will it translate to a high profile bowl? Probably not. They'll probably be one of them that picks off, you know, one of the uh, pre New Year's Eve uh, bowl games that um, no one pays attention to. But it's still mm-hmm. something to put on your resume. Um, and I think that give him, you know, a couple more years worth of recruiting and I, you know, who knows, they could, they could be, they could be sniffing a top 25. Who knows? They've done it before. So you never yeah. know, right. You never know. Yep. So why don't we now go talk about, uh, or is there any other schools you want to mention or. Uh, we've just want, missed? Just want to give a little love to Tulane. Um, I thought they ended the season really strong. I thought they were, um, didn't get a lot of love that they should have during the exit polls for the, for the season. And I think that I'm really excited to see how their season pans out. Um, Let me see. Uh, I think that when you look at, um, when you look at programs like, you know, Duke and um, NC state, I think that they're going to have a struggle for one year and then when they reboot they're going to have a real blowout season to uh to come i think there's a lot of programs that are kind of in that uh that are kind of in that boat just in terms of preparation for coming into the next year uh, i think cincinnati's in the same boat as well as kansas and i kind of think the same along the same lines as northwestern um these are all schools that have had previous 10 win seasons that um or nine win seasons that have had aspirations for bigger and better and i think that with even just with one little hiccup i think they could get back on the horse and continue to be in the conversations that we're having now a year from now so i would just kind of give a little love next year and remember northwestern had a lot of controversy this summer regarding budget hazing incidents they let the coach go and that's still under investigation so they might be having those internal issues, but um, some of it is that for sure. And last but not least, quickly about Nebraska football. You know, Nebraska used to be a real powerhouse program. They used to be like the Bama of the like the sixties and seventies. Matt Rule's coming in after getting um, fired by the Carolina Panthers. Do you think he can turn that program around? Absolutely, but I think it's going to take at least three years. Um, <laughs> I think you're not you're not jumping back into the bottom of the barrel. You're going right back into a power five. Um, there's no gimmies. I think that you may see really quick progress 
and then it's going to stag it's going to stagnate really quick. What I mean by that is the first half of their season this this upcoming year is a cupcake, and then you're gonna, then you're going to finish off with Wisconsin and Iowa. So. Um, and you're going to get pulverized by Michigan um, at the end of September. But I think um, <laughs> there, there's easy ways to see glimmers of, of progress. He'll show it, but it's going to take at least three years. Fair enough. Fair enough. So while we talk about college football's greatest achievement, individual achievement, I should say, let's talk about Heisman Trophy candidates. Alex, there are people who think that Caleb Williams might be able to repeat from USC. Maybe Jordan, sorry, maybe Jaden Daniels from LSU can make a case. Or as you mentioned, Quinn from Texas or J.J. McCartney McCarthy from Michigan, Bo Nix in Oregon, Sam Hartman, Notre Dame. A lot of big quarterbacks in there, but a lot of people really like the quarterbacks coming into this whole year in general. It was very, very interesting to talk about in draft time. But maybe a Marvin Harrison Jr., who is arguably the best receiver in the nation. Maybe he could get some votes. Alex, tell me, who do you think has a good chance of holding that amazing Heisman Trophy at the end of the year? So I think the immediate shoe-in, if I were to literally type this into chat GPT, it would be Caleb Williams. I think um, he's the most easy and honor, you know, most easy candidate a layup for repeating. Um, again, it's an individual award. You're going to be in a, in a conference where you're going to be forced to be in shootouts by the, the style of your game. So you're going to be offered plenty of opportunities to shine through the whole season. You got Lincoln Riley, who can orchestrate any offense. Um, he's unbelievable. Um, in terms of calling a game, I think that there's two types of uh, candidates when it comes to this. It's like the skill position guys that just outshine and are so multifaceted that they break their conventional um, descriptions of their position. And that would be like, you know, a back or, or a, um, you know, or a, or a defensive end, someone who just jumps off your screen. And then there's the prototypical quarterback like Caden Williams, where the entire universe revolves around them during a Saturday. So I think that he would be my leading candidate from that perspective. But if I'm just looking at like dual talent, um, jumping off my screen, I would definitely be leaning along the lines of Marvin Harrison Jr. I think that um, Mm. to be afforded a position where there's that vacuum at quarterback, he's going to be asked to do even more to help out and, and really, um, you know, take some of the weight off of um, uh, that program. And, Again, you know, they have a lot of high profile games this year, you know, with um, with uh, with with Michigan and Notre Dame and Wisconsin. So he's going to be afforded plenty of opportunities. But the one dark horse that no one's talking about that I think is going to have the biggest opportunity and probably will rank for me um, will be Brock Bowers. I think that he's been kind of the glue guy through the last two years of the reign of Georgia. Um, he's been kind of the common denominator for all of their success. And now with Stetson Bennett out and the, and the, the torch being passed um, with any rookie quarterback coming into uh, a new year, the one guy that they always rely on aside from the ground game is the tight end, the middle of the field and him being that senior leadership um, in the middle of the field, I think that he's going to really um, demand all the attention, but he's going to get most of the production. And I see him having a record here. I like that. I like that. We are definitely going to make sure we we're going to make sure we clip that and make sure nobody forgets. The other person I'm just going to also add to this conversation. I really like Sam Hartman out of Notre Dame, you know, He's a person who is an example of the transfer portal looking for a better opportunity. I think he matches in a good offense. Man's accurate. This man can use his legs. Even though he is a very old quarterback in college football, 24 years old, just about four years younger than us. But um, despite his age, I do think he's going to impress a lot of people coming into this year. And I really think he's going to make a push with Notre Dame and getting them some dominance again. I know maybe the Navy game didn't exactly show what they can um, provide against a weaker program. But I think there's a team to really look out for this year and he's going to be a big part of it. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, I want to give some love to Jane Daniels. Like I'm not, I don't have any ill will against LSU. And matter of fact, I have them in the playoff. I just think that the style of play that Brian Kelly orchestrates, it's not going to afford him 
to maximally shine the way that a Caleb Williams would under Lincoln Riley. And I think it's just, it's just as simple as that. I think he has as many as God's gifts as Caleb Williams does. And he's playing in an opportune conference where the style of play and the competition to play is so enormous that he will be afforded those opportunities at every given turn. But I just don't think that their style of play and the way that they orchestrate an offense is going to necessarily require of him what it will of Caleb Williams. Excellent stuff. I know. Um, let me say this. I think one of these players we mentioned is going to take the big trophy and let's see what uh, ultimately becomes of it. So just one more segment to go, Alex. Why don't we make our big predictions once and for all for the college football playoff? As I mentioned, this is the last year of the 14 college football bracket. Then they expand to 12. So this is going to be a special college football playoff, if you will. So let us make it. So why don't we name our four teams and then we'll lead the conversation from there. So, the four schools that are going to make the college football playoff, in my eyes, are going to be Georgia, Bama, Michigan, and Notre Dame. And I see Georgia back in the national championship. They're going to fall short to Michigan. And Michigan's going to oh. really, really do something they haven't done. And let me let me just quickly look up the last Michigan national championship. But... um. I think the Wolverines are going to have an interesting story. And maybe that is a little cliche, if um, if you will, with Jim Harbaugh back in, um, you know, being suspended and coming back. But I think this team's really stacked. And um, they're going to win their first national championship since 1997. And uh, Charles Woodson, way back when. So I'm going to make a bold prediction on that one. And But I really do want to make it, the claim again that um, Notre Dame's going to rise up in the ranks and sneak into their first ever college football playoff. Wow, that's interesting. I, I, I'm very not. I'm not. I'm not quite as shocked as I would have been, but I'm very uh, surprised by your level of trust in Bama and Notre Dame going into the season. Mm-hmm. No, I understand that, and especially with the Bama, you know, looking at regressing we don't really see a humongous star player at least they haven't showed themselves yet with bama but i really think that notre dame really is going to really get people in the ap to really like them i think Mm -hmm. they not the word overrated but i think i just think people really think they're going to be highly touted and especially as long as they stay undefeated Mm -hmm. through october they really might make a case, especially where they're um, ranked coming into the year. Yeah, I can definitely get that perspective. That's um, it's a good point. And and the sole thing here, and maybe it's because of recency bias watching the uh, Johnny Manziel doc, that one player can really revolutionize a program, but I think in more respectable terms, if you know what I mean. I, I Again, I keep mentioning him, but I'm really impressed by Sam Hartman. I really think that he, there's a chance, and I will die on this hill if he isn't that, but um, you know, coming from Wake Forest and he sees like a great head on his shoulders, I really think he's going to be a star. And maybe if this is my first, you know, first time really covering the sport, I really want to make a splash in there and also really believe what I'm saying, I think Sam Hartman's going to lead the Fighting Irish to a special season. Right on, man. I respect the uh I respect the bravery getting out of getting after it. Mm-hmm. Separate yourself from the pack. So I'm looking at the field and I I wrestled with particularly like those three and four spots. I think that there's so many teams that are going to be two lost teams that are just going to be too hard of a credible case to make, to be a third or fourth team. Um, When I look at it, my, my four teams are um, Georgia, Michigan, but the three and four are LSU and USC. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason I say um, USC is because I think, it, there's just not enough stiff competition to push them around in the Pac-12. I think it's really just as simple as that. Um, I think that their day of reckoning will be in that first round of the playoff. Um, and you know, I mean, they'll have they'll have their moments in certain games, um, but I think that they'll be clear, you know, free and clear throughout the season. Uh, and LSU, I just think that this is the year that Brian Kelly puts together. I think he's got a stacked offense. 
I think he can kind of do whatever he wants, wherever he wants, however he wants. And he's got the roster to prove it this year, uh, as long as everybody stays healthy, knocking, knocking on wood. Um, so all that being said, we're going to kind of have a boring conclusion here to wrap up the first show, but I have Georgia and Michigan again. And I think that this is Michigan's year. I think yeah. that I, 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 I follow the same spirit. I think that, the boogeyman in years past, their black cat has always been Ohio State. And with Ohio State on the outside looking in, I just don't see them having any issues. I think that they're, it's theirs to lose. I think that Georgia, um, you know, it's just so hard to repeat year after year after year. And having the turnover and the new faces coming into the season, I think that it's just not enough to bear to get over the top and win it all again. Well, I, I agree with that, too. And um though that t- and uh, and it's seeing the adjustments Georgia does especially with a lot of their um a lot of their t- losing a lot of teams against the NFL and it seems like they all went to the Philadelphia Eagles um but it's going to be interesting time and i think um and if you don't mind let me just make sure the last 3 p team hmm <clears throat> Yeah, I guess all I was just going to say Minnesota back in 34, 35, and 36. University of Minnesota was the last three peat Division I college national champion. But yeah, go on. So I think what this boils down to is just me having more faith in Harbaugh to have more second half adjustments than Kirby Smart. And it, 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 it makes me, it kills me to say that because I really don't believe that. I really don't believe that if you were to put a gun to my head. But I have to believe it to manifest what I expect to transpire at a championship game. I have more faith and respect in Kirby Smart. I'm just putting that out on Front Street. But I just think that this is kind of the year of reckoning for Harbaugh, his adversity, all the things that he's had to overcome, and all the bullshit that he's had to wipe away um, just being kind of the um, the embarrassed uh, little brother underneath Ohio State's shadow for so many years coming yeah. back. So. I think that with them out of the picture for at least one year, um, I don't see how there's any way that they could blow this. This is their time. So that's the thing we're really going to focus on this college football season is between you and me, at least, because we both think that Michigan is going to be the national champion. And as I mentioned there, I think Notre Dame has a similar run like TCU. Um, you also really like USC where they can prove. So yep. let us see where this all unfolds. And I think we can wrap that up for today. So again, we you can catch us every Wednesday. Oh, sorry, you could catch us every Thursday doing a college football show, the weekend review. So we'll see you again on Thursday, Alex, and we'll talk about week one. And yep, college football is here. Summer's over, but the best time of the year, in my opinion, the fall is here and um you can also catch us every wednesday doing the nfl show which we will start this wednesday with our nfl preview so got a lot of football to soak in and it's going to be a lot of fun all our fans out there happy labor day happy labor day wishing you all love and all the best and enjoy some football enjoy some football all right we'll see you next week alex all right take care everybody I think this is the start of a beautiful covering of college football. This is going to be a great season. This is going to only help the show even more. And we're going to get even a bigger audience from it. And we're going to make sure we don't take it for granted. And we will entertain, inform, and inspire you. Let us start. And let us have a great college football season. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Productive Conversations podcast on all podcasts and platforms and YouTube. And don't forget to check out exclusive content regarding this show across all social media platforms or on Instagram at Productive Conversations Podcast, Twitter at ProdComboPod, and on TikTok at Productive Conversations, and Facebook at Productive Conversations. So we are back with our new schedule officially. We're back on Tuesday, and then that'll start our Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday cycle for the next five months so we're gonna do tuesdays wednesdays and thursdays up until the super bowl in february and it's gonna be a great journey so we will be back on tuesday with the nfl preview then thursday with the college football week one review and then friday with a tweet cap so busy week ahead let us enjoy this labor day weekend 
Let us enjoy the final days of summer, appreciate it and enjoy it, and then really take in that Labor Day because after that, it is a road to the end of the year. And it's the best season for it. It's the fall, chill and enjoyable vibes throughout. And it's going to be a great, great time. And I'm sure we're going to learn a lot. Maybe there are some obstacles along the way, but we will be sure to overcome them and learn from them. And then from there, make some great memories and enjoy life. So let us do that. Let us have a great Labor Day weekend. Be safe out there. I want to thank Alex Rinelli for what he did on the show today. I want to thank Dolo Renick, Alex DeJesus, for what he does behind the scenes. And I want to thank you, the greatest fans and listeners in the world, for always being there and supporting us no matter what. My name is Matt Brown. I am the host of the Productive Conversations podcast, and I will see you on Tuesday talking all things NFL. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Enjoy it. Peace. All she needed was some.